Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everybody left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with professionals in the grief world. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Jana DeCristofero, and produced by Dougie Center, the National Grief Center for Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. So the title of this episode, Parentless Parenting, it's a little deceiving. While Katie Riley and I do talk about what it was like to become a parent after both of her parents died, we cover so much more than that. Katie was in her late 20s when her mother died of ALS. Four years later, her father died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Prior to her mother's death, Katie hadn't really spent much time thinking about grief or mental health, but this grief and the grief of her father's death sent her spinning. It also sent her searching for information. Katie is a journalist, and she turned to research and writing as ways to make sense of what was happening in her own world. So what do Katie and I talk about besides parenting without her parents? We explore the complicated relationship she had with her mother and how that complex connection shaped her grief. We talk about the miscarriage Katie experienced between the births of her two daughters and how she and her husband struggled to find ways to honor their baby in a world that offers basically zero support or structure for grieving a miscarriage. We also delve into what Katie's learned about grief from interviewing others and writing her way through her own. Katie is a regular contributor to the Washington Post and has published articles in Newsweek, The Guardian, New York Times Magazine, and USA Today. Katie recently interviewed me for two articles, one on grief activators and the way they can catch us off guard years after a death. That one was published in the Washington Post a few months ago. And the other one is about compounded grief. That article is still TBD for publishing, but you can keep an eye out for it on Katie's website, which is in our show notes. Okay, here's my conversation with Katie. Katie, I am so happy to have you here on Grief Out Loud. I know I've been on the receiving end of you interviewing me twice, so it's nice to um, change it up a little bit and get to ask you the questions this time. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's interesting being on this side. (laughs) (laughs) we can decide later which side each of us prefers (laughs) exactly exactly you know let's start with your parents tell us a little bit about them and what were your relationships with them like so i try to be succinct but that's hard but i think my relationship with my dad ebbed and flowed during different periods because we had very different personalities, but he was the master of showing up. Like he, all my teachers knew him. He took me to every soccer practice I ever had. He gave me my breakfast usually in the morning. Um, so it was, it ebbed and flowed, but it was always really close. And then when we took care of my mom, when she was dying, it kind of went to another level. I was really close with my mom when in her later years, but our relationship was more complicated. She was a partner in a law firm and she really wasn't around very often. She also, she traveled to Russia for two weeks, every other month. 
it was definitely more complicated with her. As you were talking about your dad, I was reminded of a phrase that a friend shared with me many years ago of this idea of somebody has to be the adult on duty. Mm. And I think, you know, it sounds like what you're saying, like your dad was the parent on duty. Yeah, he was. He really, um, and he was such an anomaly. Like I definitely now see a lot of dads with the baby carriers, but you know, he, for my friends at the time, he absolutely stood out. He, he was like this six foot guy and he used to volunteer in our library in elementary school. And I can like see, still picture him in these like tiny little chairs. <laughs> um, but you know, he, he was really good at showing up and, and we, I certainly felt that always growing up from him. You know, the relationships that we have with the people that were uh, in our immediate family, sometimes there's like the living of them. And then after someone dies, there's a, there can be this piece of reflecting on that relationship, maybe in a way that we couldn't or didn't do while that person was alive. And I think about the very outdated and gendered stereotype that girls are close with their moms. And I wonder what it's been like for you, for one, that stereotype not to be true. And also, how has that played a role in, in your grief? Such a good question. I mean, obviously reflecting so much on them now that they're gone and also being a parent, it's like a double reflection of like, what did they do that I, that served me and what didn't. I also, because my mom worked so much, we had a babysitter my whole life who was really like a second mom to me who kind of adds in this other dimension. But in terms of grief, I'm going to tell a short story, but the weekend that I graduated from law school, um, my mom came out and told me that she had ALS. At the time, I had recently gone through like a really bad breakup with someone who I thought I was going to marry. And I'd been seeing a therapist and I had kind of through that therapy talked to the, the therapist about talking to my mom about how I felt about her not being around when I was younger. And then I never had that conversation because once she told me she had ALS, it, it became about that. And I, it never came up again for me, but I think that is an example of the complexity that's like shown up in my grief kind of, of never having those conversations with her. And I think they come up even more now as a mom, because I think often about the decisions she's made and she, that she made and the ones I want to make. And I think for me, it makes my grief feel I, and I guess grief is complicated, but it maybe feels like a little more complicated. And that's such a good reminder too that, you know, sometimes we can have this idea that the person that we have the most like close connected relationship with will somehow, you know, go through the grief algorithm and lead to more grief than someone maybe who had a more distant or ambivalent relationship with. And that uh, for many people, that ambivalence and that distance adds layers to the grief because there's no longer the opportunity to address it or resolve it or bring some um, healing or repair to that relationship. And, you know, you've touched on this a little bit, but your, your parents died, you know, just a few years apart. And I wonder, how did you experience the grief about each of them feeling similar or feeling really different? So before my parents died, I was so ignorant to mental health. I just like 
didn't get it, um, never had any experiences with it. And so when my mom died, I, I was really sad, but I just kind of froze. And I really just was like, okay, I'm going to, now it's all on dad because this is who I have. And then, so she died. And then like a year and a half later, he got cancer for the first time and it, and it went to remission and then it came back a year and a half later and he died. So I would say like with my mom, I just, I was really sad, but I didn't have the tools or awareness or anything to really deal with that. I just wanted to keep going. And I mostly felt bad about myself for not being able to keep going. And then when my dad died, I felt like my body was like, we're done. You're what you're doing doesn't work. You know, I had nightmares. I had really bad anxiety all the time, like really extreme anxiety. It was just like, so I would say with my mom, it felt somewhat manageable maybe, but I wasn't really dealing with it. And then when, when it came to my dad dying, everything just kind of shut down. It was like you you had these options for coping when your mom died. And then when your dad died, that system just broke apart. Like those are not working anymore. And your body had a lot to say about that. Yeah, my body was really pissed at me. Um, and I think when my mom died, I was like, oh, okay, this is devastating. But I'm going to kind of compensate by being like, dad is here. And I'm just going to spend so much time with him. And, and that's going to make everything okay. And so that was didn't work for me. And I think it really made the grief, it would have been devastating, but it felt colossal because that's kind of how I coped with my mom. And then how did the grief, you know, I think like the grief of your mom came along with the grief of your dad, but it seems like when your dad died, that's really when it, like the grief was like, hello, I have a lot to say. And I wonder like, how did you navigate that grief in the first few years after his death? God, it's, I still, I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm not, it's like a bit of a blur in some ways. I mean, I don't know if I really did. I was like, the grief was leading things. I wasn't, it took me a really long time. Like, I think a big part for me is I felt really, really ashamed and I isolated and I was like really angry because I kind of felt like my answer in life was like, put your head down, keep going, work hard. These things that I applied to other situations. And now it just like, didn't work at all. And I felt bad about myself. I felt embarrassed about my grief. I felt like nobody understood me. So I, I kind of went into that for a couple years, I would say. So I don't know how much I was dealing with it. <laughs> And do you have a sense of when things started to shift, if they have shifted in any way? I think the two biggest shifts. So my biggest support was my husband, who is also a therapist and who also uh, lost his dad to cancer and his brother to suicide. So there's kind of this like grief understanding. And I think he hit a point where he was like, I can't, I can't carry this I can't carry your grief all by myself anymore. That made me wake up because I don't think I had realized that. And I obviously wanted that dynamic to change for us. And then the other big shifting point was when my daughter 
first daughter was born four and a half years ago, it was like this great taste of happiness. And it just was like, oh, like, oh, I can, I can feel this way. Like I can feel this way. And I don't want to pass on some of these unhealthy coping mechanisms and the stress and anxiety to this person, to this little person who like means the world to me. And so then I got back into therapy again. I put more effort into finding a good therapist. Uh, but I said those two things really kind of pushed me a bit. Well, it, it kind of leads into my next wondering and question around, you know, you mentioned that the birth of your daughter kind of like pulled the curtain back on like, oh, here's this emotion that maybe I haven't felt in many years and there I can feel it still. And so how can I create more space for this? And then the idea that these different life stages can reignite, reawaken, uh, shift our grief in some way. And so I wonder if there's other elements of becoming a parent that interfaced with your grief? Oh my God. I mean, so many. Um, I mean, first of all, becoming, finding out you're pregnant um, and that whole process, it's really, sorry, back up. I felt really lonely in my grief, partially because none of my peers were experiencing the same thing. And then parenthood was kind of doing that all over again, because you know, one of my best friends, her mom came in for like a month before she had the baby and all, all these like great things. But like, I didn't have them to call when the baby was born or, you know, they didn't come meet her. So it was definitely, it was touching a sensitive spot, like again and again, I think. Almost like it really highlighted their absence with this new stage in your life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, The one thing I didn't say before, I think about my grief is I felt like externally, I looked totally fine. Like I just had a hard, like, I just got used to kind of showing externally that I was okay. And then internally I was having all these other things going on. So I think that also was tricky for me of like learning who and when and how to share what is really going on. Because when I started to like through my writing, I think people were really surprised that I had such a hard time. People are like, Katie seems fine. Look at her. She's doing stuff. She's parenting. She's working a whole bunch. Yeah. You never know. Exactly. Exactly. You know, Katie, this might be a weird question, so you can say I don't want to answer it. But, you know, the way you were describing your your mom as as you were growing up, that she worked a bunch and she was just really engaged and career focused. And and so as you're talking about how you were coping with the grief of her death, I wonder if there's any relationship between what was modeled to you with how you were then engaging with life after she died. Oh, like 100 percent. I mean. I mean, two things. One, I think my mom was complicated because she was either working or she was like the most fun person to ever be around, you know? Um, And so she had these like two sides that were totally different, but I definitely, I had no model for how to manage my grief. There was a value system of like your success or your worth, worth is associated with your job. I felt like I couldn't do the job that I was doing, let alone like get dressed. Um, so that really affected my worth. So I definitely, yes, hundred percent think that's true. 
maybe ties back to you mentioned you felt a lot of shame for how you were weren't functioning in your grief too, of sort of like not living up to that expectation that, you know, you either you work and you get stuff done and you're successful and you function as highly as possible. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, you hear things like give it time. And so I was like, okay, you just like kind of grit and bear it. And maybe in a year, like this won't feel so horrible. And then, you know, time would pass and it would be so discouraging because that was never true. Yeah, almost this idea that integrating grief, moving forward in life with grief is just a passive thing that happens to us, right? Like if we just wait long enough, things will feel different. And it sort of ignores how active people can be in their grief to, you know, manage emotions or sit with emotions or uh, create rituals and routines to honor the people in their lives, reflect upon how their life is different or what they feel motivated to do. And you know, it's like if you if you broke your leg, no one would say, just give it time, it'll heal on its own, you know, <laughs> like go to the doctor and get an intervention. Um, not that grief requires a doctor and an intervention. But you know what I mean? Like, there's just this idea that it will just magically passively shift in some way. Yeah, I, I still feel hurt or anger. Uh, when I think of those, the kind of reactions that I received about grief, the things that people say to you and the expectation of time. And, um, it's still, I feel, I think probably forever will bother me because for me, it made me feel, I, for me, I felt really bad about myself because I felt like it didn't apply. Many of those things didn't apply to me. Well, and then thinking about, so you, you're a young adult, both of your parents die you become the mom to your first daughter, and then you experience the death of your baby in a, with a miscarriage. And, you know, in your writing, you've talked about how there's no social norms for how do you grieve a miscarriage in a way that maybe there were some structure or framework for grieving a parent's death. And could you, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and, and kind of how you found your way through figuring out how to grieve for your baby. Yeah, I think a big hard thing for me was um, the baby tested pos- positive for trisomy 13, which is like an incredibly rare um, genetic abnormality. Uh, and uh, the baby ended up passing and we had a DNC, um, but had, you know, the, there's no chance that life passed a year, but I got really caught up in how unfair that was. And what are the chances of my mom having ALS? And then my dad had cancer from Vietnam. Anyway, it brought back a lot of, for me, like, God, like nothing's, I just have the worst luck kind of thing was the negative side. And then the positive side is I think there's so much silence around women's health, traumatic birth experiences, miscarriage, infertility, the whole thing. And I think I was like, I'm going to talk about my experience because I didn't talk about my parents and it really hurt me. And I don't care if there's some people who don't want to listen, but I think there are some people who want to share and I'm going to share mine. And my experience with that grief was 10 times better. I don't know if better is the right word, just because 
I had, I kind of understood a little bit better what I needed and the things that I didn't want to like listen to about how I should grieve a certain way. Yeah, I was talking to a, a guest a couple of days ago about this idea of feeling more confident in your grief. And it, it seems to be a little of what you're talking about. It's like, okay, I know a little bit more about grief. I know what I need. I know what I'm not willing to put up with or deal with. And so almost this idea of uh, being able to, you talked earlier about how like grief, uh, grief was driving the car, you know, yeah. right after your parents died. And that it sounds like with this situation with your baby's death, that you maybe had a little bit more agency or hands on the steering wheel about your grief. Yeah. Maybe I was like a co-pilot. Like I definitely wasn't (laughs) driving, but I felt like a little bit more, I think in the same sense of like, if, you know, if you have a miscarriage, you're not supposed to grieve or you're supposed to grieve. And I felt like, okay, I don't believe in any of that everybody has the right to do it their own way. If they're not sad, that's fine. If they are sad, that's fine. And I refuse to have people tell me how to do it this time. Um, And I think where I was in my life in my late twenties and, you know, even like not married yet and all that stuff, like I felt really susceptible to all the comments that people gave me. I think all well-intentioned, but I think a lot of them really hurt. Were there ways that you found to, you know, mark the life of your baby? As you mentioned that, you know, there's just not a lot of like end of life ritual routine for that type of loss. Yeah. You know, it's funny, I guess probably in the initial period we did a lot more and it's something I want to think about more. Um, But like we, my husband and I like went to like a local beach and we kind of like I mean obviously didn't throw ashes but did like something symbolic and the writing for me was a way to kind of be like this happened and I don't know there's some permanency permanency to putting something on paper or on the internet that was really cathartic of like rather than like you know there's a lot of ways to do it but I think probably we kind of did our own ceremony and then the writing felt like the two biggest ones that were the most helpful. And speaking about writing and your career as a, as a journalist, what, thinking back, like what was the first article that you kind of went public with your grief? Yeah, I think the first one was like a medium article I wrote about what the first year of parenting was like parentless it was somewhat positive in the sense because I had spent so much time. I mean, I think something that is really not talked about is the time and energy of being like a caretaker. And I had spent so much time going to hospitals, sleeping in hospitals, talking to doctors. And so with a baby you're exhausted, but like the person is just growing, you know, just like how, what a beautiful contrasting experience that was for me to be on this side of like, not, you know, losing someone, watching someone grow. Uh, And in that, I kind of mentioned, I think that taste of happiness that came from that. And in your career as a journalist in writing so much about grief, how, how has, you know, doing that from your professional lens shifted your understanding of your own personal grief? 
Yeah, I'm always, I always, I mean, in a way it's hard because I, I kind of live in some of those harder topics, but which is so funny because 10 years ago, I would have been the opposite person. Um, like, what can I do to never think about this? Um, so that is, and then I think I was finding like so insightful, like there, that article about talking to grief, talking to your kids about grief. You know, I have a four and a half year old who's like very, very talkative um, and very interested in the fact that her grandparents on my side are dead. My parents never talked about death a lot or grief. And so, you know, I really want to shift that for her and getting to write about it. I was, you know, learning myself about how can I do this and how can I help her understand that death is a part of life. So I just, I feel like I, I'm so interested in it and then I benefit it from it. Um, there are moments that are hard because I hear things um, that make me, of course, reflect on myself, but overall, I think it's really helpful. Almost like, hmm, here's something I need to know more about. Yes. So I'm going to write an article about it so I can talk to a lot of experts and find out more. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think because I write mostly about grief, but there are like other uh, topics, but all the topics usually, I mean, the idea stems from something that I've experienced. Uh, so in that way, it's great. But there are always moments where I'm like, ooh, I should probably work on that a bit myself. But overall, <laughs> that's good. So speaking of writing and grief and things that you've experienced as inspiration for what you want to write about, what what grief topic are you most interested in exploring next? Mm, it's funny, a couple of the ones that we've talked about, um, I think I'm really interested in the anticipatory grief. Obviously, my mom got diagnosed with ALS, which is a terminal illness. And then we had a year together. I just think that that concept of, you know, how you handle that and what's helpful and what's hard. And um, I'm really interested in that. And then I'm also really interested in the aspects of becoming a parent and maybe honing in on a particular part of that and the different ways that can affect your grief. Well, I look forward to reading both of these articles about these topics. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm guessing our listeners at this point are also interested in, you know, reading future things that you've written, but also being able to go back and read like the article you mentioned on the first year of parenting while you're parentless. And then also of how to talk to kids about grief. And you and I have talked about, you know, grief, things that activate our grief uh, over time. So what would be the best way for listeners to find your, your writings? Yeah. So my, I always post new articles on Twitter. That's usually the most reliable. And then I keep my website really up to date, which is just my name, www.kdcreilly.com. Um, and I'm usually pretty good of, of adding new articles there. Great. And listeners, as I always do, that all those links will be in the show notes. So you can easily find Katie and her writing and you can um, explore the articles where I was on the other end of the question asking and Katie was the one uh, driving the conversation. So Katie, thank you for taking a risk, being the one being interviewed and just sharing so openly about your experience with your parents' death and with your, with your miscarriage and just the way that grief continues to unfold in your life today. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. 
And listeners out there, as always, I thank you each and every time for being part of our community because otherwise the show would just be me and the guests talking into the void. So we're really glad you're out there on the listening end of things. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can email me at griefoutloud at Dougie, D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G. That's also our website, D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G, where you can find all of the past episodes of Grief Out Loud, as well as uh, a variety of free tip sheets and other downloadable resources and information about our local programming. So thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time. <laughs>